0: Where Nazis attacked and burned a thousand synagogues, where rioters ransacked and looted over seven and a half thousand Jewish businesses. Ninety one Jews at least were killed. Uh, Thirty thousand Jewish men were arrested and taken to concentration camps. And Adolf Hitler's vision was that his uh, National Socialism movement would go on for a thousand years. Negotiated agreements and talks did not halt his evil ambitions as he invaded more countries. How is it that you stop such evil? Well, on a peaceful Sunday in the UK, it's hard to imagine what life uh, would be like today had Britain and the Allied forces not waged war to defeat this evil regime. And, of course, it involved great bloodshed and loss to achieve this victory. And we stop today to remember and honor those who sacrificed themselves to secure and protect our freedoms in Europe today. And we are thankful for those who uh, bravely put their lives on the line to protect and liberate people uh, from such evil regimes. And on a day of remembrance like this, we yearn, don't we, for a day when wars and conflicts will cease. But our newspapers today will continue to report civil wars, conflicts, knife crime in London, shootings in America, still anti-Semitism, human slavery, sex trafficking. Will this ever change? How could it change? It would require evil to be completely removed from this world. Now the Bible does speak of such a day. And I want to encourage you to open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 63. If you don't have a Bible and would like to have one in your hands, put your hand up and the stewards will gladly bring one to you. It would be really helpful for you to have this in front of you. Isaiah chapter 63, and you'll find this on page 751 in the church uh, Bibles. We're continuing a series this morning. We've been working through these closing chapters of Isaiah. Isaiah lived in the 8th century before Christ came. He was recognized as a prophet in the nation of Judah. And in these closing chapters, we've had a glorious vision of the future of Zion. God's people saved, secure, and sanctified. They're pictured as, uh, it's pictured as a day of joyful marriage, of an eternal wedding feast that will never end. But the question is this, what will guarantee that that will not be spoiled by evil? And then we come to chapter 63, so let's. Let me read it to you. Who is this coming from Edom, from Bosra, with his garments stained crimson? Who, who is this robed in splendor, striding forward in the greatness of his strength? It is I, proclaiming victory, mighty to save. Why are your garments red, like those of one treading the winepress? I have trodden the winepress alone. From the nations, no one was with me. I trampled them in my anger and trod them down in my wrath. Their blood splattered my garments, and I stained all my clothing. It was for me the day of vengeance, The year for me to redeem had come. I looked but there was no one to help. I was appalled that no one gave support so my own arm achieved salvation for me. And my own wrath sustained me. I trampled the nations in my anger. In my wrath I made them drunk and poured their blood on the ground. This is God's Keep these verses in front of you. I'm going to consider them this morning. Two questions and three implications. And the two questions are there in the text. The first question, who is this? Verse 1, who is this? It's the question of the watchman on the city walls of Jerusalem. We read in the last chapter how they were put there to call out to God until God established his people, and gave uh, them eternal security. Who is this, is the watchman's cry. He sees someone coming from Edom, this capital city of Bosra. And as this person comes closer, it's obvious this is a mighty warrior. He's dressed in splendid clothes. Closer still, as this person is observed, it becomes apparent that the robes are actually stained crimson red. It's a captivating sight. It's a terrible sight. A formidable person striding with purpose and strength. Who is this, is the question. And as the person draws near, we get the reply, it is I, proclaiming victory, mighty to save. In the Bible, It is I is the way that God reveals himself. God revealed himself to Moses as the great I am. And there's no doubt that this figure striding towards uh, Jerusalem is a divine warrior. Look where he's coming from. He's coming from Edom. Edom was the neighboring country. And by this stage embodied a long history of malice and harm towards God and towards God's people. A rivalry began between two brothers, Jacob and Esau, turned into very dark animosity in their ancestors that refused to help the nation as they were wandering through the wilderness and later provoked and rejoiced as foreign powers came in and attacked and destroyed the nation of Israel. And so at this point, Edom represents the sworn enemies who maliciously hate God and hate God's people. And yet, in this vision, the divine warrior is striding away from this enemy nation and its capital city, and he's speaking a righteous message of salvation. He is mighty to save. This is the announcement of victory day. And by the time you get to verse 6, this is a victory over all the enemies of the nations. This divine warrior is striding out on victory day. He has achieved total salvation for his people. And then the next question in verse 2, why? Why are your garments red like those of one treading the wine press? Bosra uh, was famed for its grapes, for its wines and its vineyards. And that imagery is taken up here in the question and reply. Why are your garments crimson red? Like like someone enthusiastically treading out the grapes to get the juice in the wine press. And then we get this fearsome reply. These are not wine stains. These are blood stains. Verse 3, I have trodden the wine press alone. From the nations, though, and was with me. I trampled them in my anger. I trod them down in my wrath. Their blood spattered my garments, and I stained all my clothing. These enemies who maliciously and cruelly hated God's people have received their just judgment. They've been totally defeated, slain, trampled, crushed. Their blood uh, now spilled. And so they will never rise again to threaten or hurt God's people. His blood-stained garments are actually the sign that their enemies will never cause them harm or terror again. It is a gruesome vision, and yet we must see it's not an act of mindless violence. It's not the taking of life for entertainment or pleasure. The motive of the divine warrior is there in verse 4. It was for me the day of vengeance. The year for me to redeem had come. I'm sure you've seen one of those uh, cowboy movies where the people in the wild west frontier town whose peaceful lives have been terrorized by some evil leaders and their henchmen and it all looks hopeless. No one is able to defeat them until the hero comes. And he has the courage and the ability to take them on in the last stand fight. And we know know as we watch this, this movie that the townspeople are only truly safe when every single last one of these evil men are lying face down in the bloodied dirt. And see, for those who have been unjustly experiencing continuous hatred, abuse, violence, who've been imprisoned, who've been enslaved under some evil regime... Uh, where there's been no justice, your only hope is for a day of vengeance when the tables will be turned on those who wickedly oppress you. The day of just vengeance will be the day of your freedom. That's the motivation of this divine warrior, to redeem and rescue his people from all the forces of evil that were against them. The motivation is compassion. It's love for his suffering people. For there was no one else who could bring about this redemption from evil. There was no one else to intervene and help the oppressed. Look at verse five. I I looked, but there was no one to help. I was appalled that no one gave support. So my own arm achieved salvation for me, and my own wrath sustained me. This is not some irrational moment of anger. But a settled determination to not stop until there is full salvation from all evil in the whole world. Verse 6, I trampled the nations in my anger. In my wrath I made them drunk. That is, made them stagger and fall like drunks. And poured their blood on the ground. Now if you were here a few weeks ago, you might remember the promise uh, back in chapter 61 of a good news preacher who would come anointed by God to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom from the captives, to release from the darkness for those who are in prison, who would come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. And so you see this year of favor and salvation is linked to this day of vengeance, Freedom is only possible after you defeat the guards, break down the walls of the prison, and release the captives. And to the question then, why are your garments red with bloodstains, comes the answer, because of God's righteous anger against evil. And because of God's redeeming love for his oppressed people. God is promising here... Uh, Every atom of evil in this world, and so forever secure his saved people in the world to come. Uh, We were invited to view the future at the end of chapter 62. Just look back at verse 11. The Lord has made proclamation to the ends of the earth say to the daughter Zion see your savior comes see his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him they will be called the holy people the redeemed of the Lord and you will be called sought after the city no longer deserted who will enter into this glorious Zion into Christ's everlasting kingdom and into this new world to come the answer there in verse 12 it's the redeemed of the Lord it will be his saved people and look at how they're described they're the Holy people. See, on that final day, not only will it be a new world with no more evil, but a truly transformed people with no evil or sin left in them. On that day, they will truly be a holy people. And so, three implications this morning. Firstly, don't remain an unforgiven enemy of Jesus. Don't remain an unforgiven enemy of Jesus. In the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, the Apostle John sees another vision of this divine warrior. In chapter 19, he is described, next slide please, he is described as riding out of heaven uh, with his name, Faithful and True. And again, please, David. This, this rider riding out of heaven with his name, Faithful and True, for he judges justly and wages a righteous war. He has a robe dipped in blood, and his title is the Word of God. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, it says. And it says this, he will rule over them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. As you read through the whole of the book of Revelation, it's quite clear that this is a reference to Jesus. He is the conquering king, the conquering king that was prophesied by Isaiah in chapter 63. And I want to say to us today that God in his kindness is revealing the future, letting us know that Jesus is this divine conquering king who will remove all evil and all unforgiven evil people. And it is a warning that is given to us now. Get right with God now. God's word has been given to us to to warn us that this is the wrath of God that is coming so that we might do something about it now. And as we read these chapters, there aren't many chapters like this in the Bible. But the Bible is straightforwardly direct when it speaks of God's hatred and animosity of evil and sin. And that one day it will be utterly removed. And so do not remain an unforgiven enemy of King Jesus. Because if you've not turned to him for forgiveness, if you just spend your life kind of considering that Jesus is nothing more than a, a swear word, there's a day coming when his presence will utterly terrify you, the Bible says. It speaks in Revelation 6 of the mountains and the rocks. Um, the the, the kings of the earth and people calling out to the rocks to fall on them and to hide them from the wrath of the Lamb. And I take it that this shocking imagery is here because of God's kindness to wake us up, to respond now before that day so that we might have our sins forgiven and be ready and be one of his saved, redeemed people. Rejoicing at his return. Isaiah has three great portraits of Jesus. Uh, The first section, 1 to 39, is the the picture of Jesus as Emmanuel. We're coming up to Christmas. They're already singing Christmas carols in some of the shops, unbelievably. And we get this portrait. We often read from the the opening chapters of Isaiah, don't we, at the carols. Uh, In Isaiah chapter 9, we learn of a a birth of of a human king who's going to be given titles that will only really be true of God himself. He'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. This is the one who's going to reign on David's throne and over his kingdom. This is the one who's going to establish justice and righteousness forever. And then in the middle chapters of Isaiah, 40 to 55, we have this picture of the servant of the Lord. And at Easter, we we consider the events of his passion, uh, his crucifixion, his resurrection, that are so vividly described in Isaiah chapter 53. Describes this servant as a suffering servant, the one who will be pierced for our transgressions. He is crushed for our iniquities. His life becomes an offering for the sin of others. He pours out his life to death so that sinful rebels can be forgiven, so that wandering sheep can be brought back and made righteous before God. And then Isaiah finishes with this final picture of the conquering king. And my friends, we need to hold all three pictures of Jesus together, for it is the same person. The Jesus that we're gonna sing about at Christmas is the Jesus who came that we remember at Easter, and it's the Jesus who's coming back as the all conquering king. He first came to make a way that enemies could be offered amnesty and salvation and and be saved from the day of vengeance. And so I want to say to you today that as we respond to a fearsome chapter like Isaiah 63, this is a day to humbly come to Jesus and to confess our sin. This is the day of that we acknowledge our contribution to suffering and pain in this world and ask God to forgive us and save us as we personally trust what Jesus did on the cross in our place. Now is the day of amnesty. Now is the day you can become, we can become one of God's saved people so that we do not need to fear this day when he comes as conquering king I want to ask you today, have you done that? And if not, why not do that today? Second implication rejoice at the certain victory of Jesus over evil that will secure our salvation forever. What security will we have that the future will be glorious? It is only this that all evil will be conquered. And we see this vision of this divine warrior, and he is striding back. Job completed. Totally defeated the enemies. There's no hint even of tiredness in him in the way that he strides out, proclaiming victory, proclaiming he is mighty to save. And his salvation will be total and complete. There is no doubt about the overthrow of all enemies that threaten to harm, that threaten to destroy. Nothing will be able to spoil the eternal joy of his kingdom. The Hallelujah Chorus, made famous by Handel's piece, is the chorus of heaven after, which it, after it observes the final day of judgment as God overthrows all evil. And all of heaven and all his people sing hallelujah. Hallelujah. That day will come. Thirdly, patiently endure injustice, leaving the day of vengeance to our God. You see, when we're gonna align our lives with Jesus our king, when we do that, it will put us in opposition to a world that wants nothing to do with God, that wants nothing to do with Jesus. Jesus warned his disciples this way in John's gospel, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. And we may indeed experience great injustice We've seen that in Azia Bibi's case, eight years in prison, thankfully out. We hope some country, tragically, Britain has not offered her a place to go. Hopefully, another country will, where she can be safe. But the Bible is clear that we are not to take vengeance into our own hands. Judgment and vengeance is God's responsibility, not ours. And Isaiah 63 and Hebrews 10 reminds us that vengeance belongs to God. He is the judge and he will bring justice. The world at best offers very limited justice. So many people seem to get away with terrible crimes and wickedness. But God is not mocked. And the Bible tells us that there will be a day of ultimate justice. And so we do not need to take things into our own hands. Instead, We must, as it says in 1 Peter, entrust our precious souls to our creator God, knowing that there will be a day of perfect justice to come. Jesus said this to his disciples. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven.